welcome to this week's edition of Honestly Speaking with Tara Setmayer, where telling the truth in a time of universal deceit is a revolutionary act. Well, we are only a few weeks away from Election Day. I'm so encouraged that millions of people have begun early voting. Millions, like record setting in states from Texas to Georgia. Um, This is great. Great news. People are so engaged and um, they need to be because the country is in absolute chaos still. COVID is raging and Donald Trump is completely out of his mind. (laughs) So uh, that's all good news. It looks good for Joe Biden, but we cannot be complacent. So on this episode, I'm going to interview Michael D'Antonio. He is a Trump biographer, a Pulitzer Prize winning author, and he has written a new book called High Crimes, The Corruption, Impunity and Impeachment of Donald Trump. And Michael is also a friend and colleague of mine over at CNN, but he is a delight. And, you know, very few people actually have the opportunity to sit down and do long form interviews with Donald Trump. And Michael is one of those people, not for this book, but for his uh, previous books, uh, The Truth About Trump. So Michael's going to talk about his new book and um, some of the news of the day and Trump's erratic behavior. It's Um, let's see, is he surprised about any of this? Stay tuned and find out that's coming up in a little bit. And before I get into it, I want to make sure that I thank my sponsor, On Duty USA. Uh, On Duty USA is a veteran-owned, veteran-farmed, and veteran-operated health and wellness company. So if you have trouble with anxiety, and frankly, who doesn't? We're only weeks away from this crazy election. If you have insomnia, aches and pains, On Duty's Kentucky-grown products are all you need. On Duty offers a line of premium CBD products from traditional sublingual oils, gummy bears, beeswax topicals, and more. Be sure to shop and save 15% on your order when you visit ondutyusa.com and sign up for their monthly subscription at checkout. Now you can also subscribe to the On Duty Monthly Report, where they share the latest in veteran news and offer exclusive insider discounts. If you are a regular listener of the podcast, then you already know that On Duty offers a special offer, 20% off discount to Honestly Speaking listeners. All you have to do is type in Tara in the promo box and you'll get a one-time 20% off your entire order. So that's OnDutyUSA.com. That's OnDutyUSA.com. I'm all about supporting small businesses, particularly veteran-owned businesses. And I use all their products from their, um, they have a a balm, they have a lotion, um, they have the drops, they're great for inflammation. My husband uses them, my mom uses them for her dog. Her dog gets uh, seizures and they have a doggy version of their CBD products that works wonders. So check them out, ondutyusa.com. Like I said, we are a few weeks away from this election, and I'm just thrilled with the early voting numbers. And you know, since the last episode, a lot has happened as usual. But um, most notably, since the last episode, Donald Trump contracted COVID and recovered from it and has acted like an absolute insane person throughout the entire ordeal. 
Why is anyone surprised? Because he's a lunatic before he was on drugs, but (laughs) it was magnified 10 times over because they gave him steroids. And if anyone's ever been on steroids, um, then you know it makes you manic and you feel like you have superpowers. Um, Doesn't necessarily heal what's wrong with you, but it helps to bring down inflammation and mask some other issues and helps you to deal with it. But it's um, Donald Trump literally on steroids has been an insane thing to watch over the last couple of weeks. And for those who are also supporters of the Lincoln Project, you I'm sure have seen some of the ads that we put out. We have been killing him from, you know, his stunt that he pulled leaving the hospital, leaving Walter Reed and, you know, the the very South American dictator-ish from the balcony, very Evita display that he put on and ripping off the mask. I mean, it's just been, it's been crazy. And if you haven't seen the Lincoln Project Covita ad that we made (laughs) making fun of that, go look it up. It's pretty funny. Um, But in all seriousness, there was a major outbreak of COVID infections in the White House. And a lot of top officials within Trump's inner circle, from Hope Hicks to his campaign director, Bill Stepien, uh, were COVID positive. Stephen Miller, um, it's been a mess, an absolute mess. And uh, it looks like most of them are, are going to recover. And that doesn't seem to be Um, it's not going to impact them too badly, but lucky them, they have access to the best healthcare in the world. Donald Trump had 14 doctors. They gave him an experimental medication that no one else in the world has had the cocktail of, 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 um, prescriptions that they gave him. I mean, good for him, but the millions of people who are infected with COVID and are continuing to get infected, they don't have access to these therapeutics. We still don't have a vaccine. So Donald Trump has continued his cavalier attitude like, oh, no big deal. Don't let COVID dominate your life, which is what he said when he got out. Really? Tell that to the 218,000 dead Americans and their families. What a God awful thing to say. And you know what? It's hurting him. It's hurting him in the polls. Um, Seniors are breaking for Biden now and seniors have the highest propensity to vote. So that is not a demographic Donald Trump can afford to lose. He's already getting killed with suburban women, who he continues to call suburban house, uh, housewives, by the way. He is now back out on the campaign trail, as we've all seen, which is just, again, nuts, because these are he may not be positive anymore He or whatever. We can't believe anything they say because they were not transparent through that whole thing. But these events are still super spreader events. I, I just don't understand this. These It is literally a death cult. I have said this many times and we're witnessing it. We're witnessing it. And Trump is out there dancing like a jackass to YMCA and macho man and acting as though we're still not in the middle of a global pandemic. And then all these morons that are going to these rallies, very few masks, they're literally involved in super spreader events. The funny thing is that at uh, one of his Iowa rallies this week, <laughs> somebody spent the money to put up a big billboard that was um, on the route to the location, the airport location where Trump's rally was. And it said this way to Trump's super spreader event. <laughs> Pretty funny. Good for them, whoever it was that did that. But it's not funny in that we're still talking about people's lives here. 
And this administration has just been so god awful on this issue that I think this will be the defining issue that finally takes Donald Trump down. If you would have asked me a month ago or so whether this would be a close election um, or whether Joe Biden, even though the polls have had Joe Biden up all this time, I was still, you know, recovering from 2016 where the polls had Hillary winning too and she lost. If you would have asked me a month ago, did I think that Trump could still win? I would say yes. You ask me now, I think that, and hear me out, I think it could potentially be a landslide. I hope I'm right. I don't want to jinx the situation, but looking at the numbers, looking at the fundamentals, looking at the state polls, it's very different than 2016. First of all, Joe Biden is not Hillary Clinton. He is not despised the same way Hillary Clinton was. He's a lot more palatable to the center-right Republicans who could not bring themselves to cast a ballot for Hillary, but could for Joe Biden. There's really no one that hates Joe Biden, right? Um, he just doesn't exhibit, he doesn't exude that same vitriol. So that's number one. He's a much different candidate. And this time around, Donald Trump has a record. He didn't have a record in 2016. People were choosing the unknown. They were looking at the facade of who they thought this disruptor businessman was going to be and straighten things up, drain the swamp. Well, if you're listening to my podcast, then you didn't fall for that. And maybe you did and you've come to your senses and realized that Donald Trump was full of shit and he was a con artist and you got duped. And that's okay. You know, sometimes it takes people a little bit longer to see the light, but at least you've seen the light, I hope. Um, But it's different this time. And the pollsters that got it wrong in the States, I mean, the national polls were actually pretty close, but national polls don't really matter other than for trend lines. But we don't have a national election. I've said this many times. We have 50 state individual elections. So the pollsters in the state polls, they fixed the problems from 2016. And the polls have been a lot more accurate so far. Well, we'll I guess we'll see ultimately after November 3rd. But Philip Bump of the Washington Post, he's an excellent writer and he always does these really um, good analyses on the, the, he goes really deep into numbers and trends and things. And he recently wrote a piece in the Post where he breaks down um, the different state polling and, and the numbers and the margin of error. And he basically says, look, Joe Biden is doing so well in some of these swing states that even if you factored in the same margin of error from 2016, Joe Biden would still win and he'd win by 100 electoral votes. That's a landslide, my friends. Now, that might be wishful thinking. And that's also if the election was held today. A lot can happen. Who knows what happens in the next two and a half weeks? But it is very difficult to change this kind of momentum at this point in a race. I I mean, I don't know what, what could possibly happen. A lot is already baked into the cake. The Trump folks are trying desperately, swinging at anything. They're just throwing anything at the wall to see what sticks. There, There's really no second term agenda. The rallies are just a re- rehash of the 2016 election. And uh, Trump isn't doing anything to expand his base. He's just not. He is not winning in any demographics other than uneducated or non-college education. I shouldn't say uneducated, non-college educated white men. Um, That's the only demographic, really. He's not, and he's not winning as much as he was before. So he's literally not expanded 
his reach outside of his hardcore base. I don't know how he wins like that, but that doesn't mean that people should get complacent at all, at all. Now, the Supreme Court nomination of Amy Coney Barrett, uh, you know, it's par for the course. It's fait accompli. She's going to get confirmed. I'm sorry to my liberal friends. I talked about this last time. I know you're frustrated. You want you want to fight the, the nomination, but it, elections have consequences. Republicans control the Senate. There is nothing you can do. What you can do is vote those Republican senators out. If you live in one of those states where one of those senators is up for re-election, well, vote them out and help their, you help your Democratic friends get the majority and then it'll be your turn. But um, unfortunately, there's nothing you can do to stop that nomination. However, I think the Democrats have done a decent job of, of using their time during the hearings to prosecute the case against Republicans and Trump uh, in their failures on health care reform, um, which is a huge issue, especially since COVID is now raging worse than it was in the spring. Right, We had 62,000 new cases on October 15th. That's a record. We hadn't seen anything like that since July, which was at the peak. So, I mean, once you have coronavirus, you have a pre-existing condition. So the Democrats were really hammering home the importance of health care and, you know, this, this Obamacare case that's coming before the Supreme Court and how consequential this is. So at least it keeps people engaged and paying attention. So that's good. Um, and it's really, I think it's it's helped to mobilize a lot of the left because the early voting, the way things look now, it's predominantly Democrats, which doesn't look good for Republicans. Now, that doesn't mean that that can't tighten the closer we get to Election Day. Do not take anything anything for granted at all, please. Biden's campaign manager tweeted out something similar. The Biden camp, can I just say this? They raised $382 million in September. That's in addition to the $364 million they raised in August. This is crazy. I've never seen fundraising like this. So there is certainly enthusiasm. I don't want to hear anything that there's no enthusiasm on on the Biden side. Whether it's the enthusiasm is about ousting Trump or for Biden, who gives a shit? As long as we're, the, the end result at this point is getting Donald Trump and those Trumpers out of there. So that's that. Um, so it looks good for Biden. Let's just hope they don't mess up between now and then. They really could. They just need to keep keep out there and um, stay healthy. What else with COVID? Oh, my goodness. So <laughs> the Trump administration, Trump in particular, picking a fight with Dr. Fauci again, ill-advised considering Dr. Fauci is 10 times more popular than Trump is. And Trump is doing terribly on his COVID response. Um, and Fauci's just, I think Fauci finally just said, fuck this. I'm going to say what I want to say. And what if he's going to fire me, let him fire me. But Fauci has been honest. He said that, uh, you know, the, the White House engaged in a super spreader event. Trump didn't like that. They tried to keep Fauci off the Sunday shows. But then the next day on Monday, he went on Jake Tapper's show <laughs> and basically was like, yeah, um, I don't appreciate what they're doing. The Trump administration took a Fauci interview out of context. So it makes it look like he's praising Donald Trump's uh, response to COVID. And they put it in this big national ad that they were running. And that's not what he was talking about. 
So it was completely out of context. Fauci didn't give him permission to use him in the ad. And he said, in my 50 years that I've been working in government service or 40 years, I've never endorsed a candidate publicly. And it's inappropriate. And I hope they don't do this again. They need to pull the ad and don't do this again. Well, of course, the Trump administration is not pulling the ad. And from what we hear, they have another one where they're going to take Fauci's words. It's crazy. He was actually praising the work of the coronavirus task force, not of Trump himself. Important to know. So if you see that Fauci ad, in, if you're watching football or wherever you are in the country and you see that national ad, yeah, just know it was against Fauci's will. And he also said that, uh, listen, folks need not to get together in large groups for Thanksgiving. As horrible as that may be, and you know, I know a lot of people are just tired of, of having to socially distance and wishing away coronavirus, it, it's not going away. And you've got places like Wisconsin, they're building field hospitals again. I mean, it's, it's ramping back up and we're heading into flu season. So people, please, I plead with you. I know it's hard to be separated from your loved ones, but just be safe. Be safe, wear a mask and stay socially distant if you have to. Because until there's a vaccine, that, that, that is the only way to stay safe and wash your hands, of course. One other thing about uh, the Trump administration just blowing COVID, and this is important because I believe that their failed response to COVID is what will be the death knell for Donald Trump's campaign. No pun intended. More and more people are just looking at him and just looking at how irresponsibly he's acting and how childish and just vindictive and doing everything but focusing on how to keep Americans safe, which should be your number one priority as the president of the United States, not trying to save your own ass. And it's, um, you know, it's starting to turn people. You know, it's really starting to turn people away. Independents are breaking for, for Biden. And now it was leaked out that the, that the White House is supporting this insane idea of herd immunity. Herd immunity is not the answer. First of all, it doesn't work unless you have a vaccine. Herd immunity means you allow the people who are the least vulnerable to get the virus, then you're supposed to theoretically build up an immunity and you separate out, you segregate out the more vulnerable populations, like the elderly or people with pre-existing conditions. How do you do this in a country of 330 plus million people? You can't. And you might have a couple of quack doctors or scientists that are pushing this. And there's three of them mainly. They, they put something out called the Great Barrington De Declaration, which had no peer review, no scientific footnotes. It's just their pontification on this. And the White House is running with it. Why? because it fits their political narrative. They want everything open because the economy is faltering. Well, you can't just wish a global pandemic away and then subscribe to some, some quack theory of herd immunity. Some doctors and epidemiologists and specialists and experts in this area, they have gone bonkers saying, wait, you can't do this. Herd immunity is not the way to go. You're asking for a great massacre carnage. And one doctor, Dr. Hay, I think it's Hazeltine, Hazelton, he said it would be mass murder. Well, sure. If you're letting people get infected, people are going to die. And this crazy sociopathic administration seems to think that that's okay. 
Like that is not okay. What a disregard for life. They're supposed to be the pro-life party, right? But look at this blatant disregard for life, all for political gain. It's crazy. The cognitive dissonance is hard to fathom. So don't believe this bullshit about herd immunity is the new, the new approach. That should not be okay at all. The focus should be on getting out therapeutics and a vaccine and telling people to wear a damn mask and stop politicizing that weapon, politically weaponizing it. It's, it's, it's crazy. It really is the, the blatant disregard for life. I don't know. But this is a big mistake. And, you know, Trump is flailing about. He keeps trying to blame China. It's not my fault. You know, he's whining. And the second debate was canceled because it was supposed to be a town hall, which is always a good format for Biden. Bad for Trump because he has no empathy and he's a loon (laughs) and a sociopath and malignant narcissist. So he doesn't connect with people. But that got canceled because the debate commission wanted it to be virtual and Trump threw a fit and said, no, I'm not doing it virtually. So he backed out. So Biden said, all right, to hell with it. ABC offered Biden a town hall. And then NBC came down, came down the pike and said, OK, well, we'll let we'll offer a town hall, a competing town hall to Trump. And then, of course, Trump whined and complained about that. Oh, they're setting me up and. Oh my God, what a whiner. I'm telling you, I'll be glad for him to lose so we don't have to listen to his bitching and whining anymore. Get over it, jeez. He's supposed to be some tough guy? I've never seen anybody bitch and complain so much for a tough guy. Ay. But you can't win. And at the time of this recording, those those town halls had not happened yet, but there's still a question of whether the third debate's going to happen. I'll be curious to see, but... um. It's just, it does, it's just hard for Trump. Trump needs these, these venues more than Biden does because Biden's coasting right now. <laughs> so Trump needs to have a moment or two to change things around. And I just don't see it happening. Um, you know, the rallies aren't, ha- aren't helping him. It's making it worse because he's saying all kinds of just wackadoodle stuff. He's retweeting QAnon conspiracy theories. He's, they're attacking uh, Hunter Biden. And I'm not even going to, get into this alleged bombshell story that the New York Post posted. Um, it's terribly vetted. It uh, It's clearly a Rudy Giuliani hit piece. And we don't even know if the emails and things are legit. And I'm just going to say this. Let's not forget that Burisma, the Ukrainian company, that Hunter Biden was on the board and it was the subject of all this Ukraine stuff. Burisma was hacked and hacked by Russian intelligence. They specialize in this type of disinformation and the Russians, you know, they might take a couple of legitimate emails and then they put out the the manipulated ones. So you just can't believe any of it. And Giuliani's been running around with Russian intelligence operatives and all kinds of shady people trying to get this information. The story doesn't add up. So do not pay attention. Number one, Hunter Biden's not running for president. So they really need to stop this. They look like idiots. And now Trump is also running around trying to say that China is going to pay for the coronavirus response. $1.8 billion. (laughs) Right. Just like Mexico was supposed to pay for the wall. Come on. I mean, he's just saying crazy stuff, (laughs) seeing what sticks, but he's really preaching to the choir and this choir isn't enough for him to win again. And, um, 
on top of that, and this is probably a good point to bring in Michael D'Antonio, um, <laughs> on top of that, the New York Times has been releasing these incredible investigative stories about Donald Trump's finances and his taxes. And it's just, it just exposes him for the failed businessman he is. He owes $420 million to God knows who. And he's taking money, questionable money exchanges for his campaign and where it's going. I mean, the list is long. So any type of corruption or impropriety that Donald Trump tries to throw at the Bidens, just remember he's doing something 10 times worse. That's why he does it. And so they want to attack Hunter. <laughs> Take a look at what the, what the Trump kids are doing. Good grief. So on that note, um, let's bring in my good friend, author and writer and CNN commentator, Michael D'Antonio to talk about his new book, High Crimes and what he thinks of Donald Trump's behavior in the last weeks of the campaign. Up next. Well, on this episode of Honestly Speaking with Tara, I am thrilled to welcome back my good friend, Michael D'Antonio. Some of you may know him from CNN. He is a CNN contributor, but he's also a Pulitzer Prize winning author. He is a Trump biographer. He wrote the book, Truth About Trump. And now he has a new book out called High Crimes, The Corruption, Impunity, and Impeachment of Donald Trump that he has co-written with Peter Eisner. So Michael D'Antonio, welcome back to Honestly Speaking with Tara. I'm so excited to talk to you because you're one of few people that have actually sat down with Trump, have observed him over the years, and have written books about what's going on. So what better person to chat about the insanity in the last few weeks of this campaign than you. Welcome. My, my goodness, he really has reached the apex, hasn't he? Hasn't when he? You, when you say the insanity, and we're now um, in the middle of his frenzied attempt to save himself, uh, I actually think to save himself from tremendous legal trouble. Um, that he will face when he's no longer president. And he wants to stall that as long as possible. You know, you're not the only person to make that observation. A lot of people think that Trump doesn't really want to be president. He's just using the presidency to shield him from finally facing the music for decades of being an unscrupulous, horrible a borderline illegal, probably more illegal than borderline at this point, based on what we were finding out, um, behavior on his part. And the presidency is the only thing that's been saving him. I said it was his daddy that saved him before. Then it was the Russians. Now it's the presidency. And he's watching that slip away. And we see him acting nuttier than ever. Has anything surprised you about his behavior up to this point? You know, I have to say not one thing has surprised me. <laughs> I mean, this headache that everyone has, this pounding headache with our national experience is what anyone acquires after spending just 15 or 20 minutes in private with Donald Trump. He gives everyone a headache because <laughs> he's so florid in his lying. And but but also he's really very good at it. You you know some people are terrible liars and and they learn not to do it. He's very good at 
producing this stream, this overwhelming blizzard of lies. It's, you know, you're driving along a mountain pass and all of a sudden a snow shower hits you and you can't see and you can't move. And that's what he does. <laughs> and he's he's done it to the country. So now we're all kind of picking our way through the last, you know, mile or so before the storm clears. And we're hoping that on the other end of the trail, when we get past election day, we'll see, we'll see clearly again and maybe we won't feel that headache anymore. Or we're hoping that we don't go off the ravine into a ravine (laughs) on the way to that clearing, right? Because that's what I feel like another four years would be like. That would be just us going off the cliff. Well, it's and it's really, I mean, if you see what he's done to people and just, and this includes the people who support him so fervently, they're trapped. You know, it's like you went to the used car lot, the guy talked you into a car that's really terrible. And believe me, I, I accompanied my daughter to buy her first car once to a very bad corner of Brooklyn. <laughs> and she bought the world's worst Volkswagen. And we poured so much money in it because she couldn't give up on the idea that she bought this car. And, and she didn't want to accept that it was a very bad idea and it didn't work and uh, cut her losses. So people are wedded to this fellow and wedded to this choice. And I think they can't see straight either. So they're going to go all the way with him. I feel as though she made that purchase despite your warnings about the, the, the uh, probably it wasn't a good idea to do it, but she was hell bent on doing it and had to learn for herself. Correct. Kind of like the American people who voted for Trump. <laughs> Well, right. And you have to make your mistakes. Um, it was her money. You know, and, right. and these folks, these folks voted with their own ballots. The problem is, of course, that um, we are also a community and a society. And if people use whatever power they have as individuals to come together to foist upon the rest of us, this terrible leader, they do have an obligation to step back and say, well, wait a minute, I think I made a mistake. And, and you see people doing that. I mean, I, I think the diehards are very much in a minority, so, but we're not going to find out, will we, until uh, maybe a week or two after Election Day. Right. Um, We all pay the price for the bad decisions of those 63 million people who voted for Trump. You know, the difference is that your daughter's car, well, it's just her money and probably yours because you helped her. But that's it. It didn't impact anybody else. For the rest of us that are suffering through this national nightmare with Donald Trump and the rest of the world, the world is impacted by this. Um, We've all had to live through those decisions. But, you know, that's what representative democracy is. And um, we're hoping that come November 3rd this year, that the uh, the American people write that ship. Um, before we get into your book, I, I just wanted to ask you about your thoughts on the New York Times articles that have come out recently about Trump's finances and his, his tax avoidance. Um, probably not a shocker to you as someone who has been uh, an observer of Trump over the years and a Trump biographer. Um, did, did anything shock you, though, in the New York Times reports, or was it just a reaffirmation of what you already knew? Well, one of the things that shocked me actually confirmed a claim uh, then-businessman Trump made to me, and that, that was about how much he was earning from The Apprentice. It turns out it was really a huge sum, hundreds of millions of dollars. And he bragged to me about the first paycheck he got from <laughs> uh, Mark 
uh, Burnett, and it, he said it was $13 million. And, you know, when you're sitting in that gilded apartment and he's blathering on and on and on at, at a rapid pace, it, it's a safe thing to just assume everything's a lie and you have to check everything out. But, you know, it turned out he was telling the truth. That program earned him a huge sum of money, um, but it also gave the lie to his claim that he was a successful developer and builder. You know, the Times report indicates that the, he stopped really being an active, successful builder decades ago, and the only real estate projects that made money were the ones that were managed by others, and he was a kind of a partner, a silent partner in those developments. So, you know, the the thing that surprised me was the actual one little ray of light. Um, but the other experience I had reading it was finally some of the things that never made sense to me started to make sense. And it, and it had to do with all of the losses that I knew were piling up, especially at these golf resorts um, where he bought at the exact wrong moment and developed the courses as the industry, the golf industry and the golf resort industry were both collapsing. And it, I knew he was losing money. Um, and now it seems that at least in one case in uh, Turnberry in Scotland, it appears that the um, United Arab Emirates um, fund, their sovereign wealth fund, is probably holding the mortgage on that property, mm-hmm. and that that part of his his debt, his mysterious debt, is owed to them, which then makes us wonder. Oh, maybe that's why the UAE is getting sophisticated American fighter jets. And you, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, the problem with the president who owes huge amounts of money to uh, sovereigns abroad becomes crystal clear. So there's a lot that I think we're going to unravel and and discover maybe for decades after you know after Donald Trump is dead and gone historians will be will be still uncovering stuff which is remarkable you know I mean oh. it, every week I, I joke with Rick Wilson on our on our show the breakdown which you'll which you'll join us on um about how you know, p- political folks like us and people who've worked on campaigns, October is always a month where you you sleep very little. You have no idea what what happens from week to week because you're just anticipating that October surprise during presidential years. The Donald Trump administration has been an October surprise worthy level of cra- batshit crazy every week for four years. <laughs> every week yeah. it's something else. The revelations would be absolutely devastating and career ending for anyone else but Donald Trump. And the, these financials, I mean, the New York Times, they really deserve a lot of credit for the work that they have done. They have really, really done intrepid investigative work on this that many journalists and writers like yourself and others who have gone down this rabbit hole a few times and haven't been able to quite get it. And whoever whoever provided the New York Times with their with their documents and what they needed to do this, God bless them. They are doing the country a service and the New York Times should win another Pulitzer for this effort. But the problem is 
the American people just tune it out. They tune all of this out. It doesn't it doesn't shock them anymore because the fire hose of corruption and impropriety and illegalities that are coming from the Trump administration are overwhelming. I think the American people just tune it out. It's very hard to keep any of it straight. You're you're right. And that's part of his genius. And he's always done this. He's always overwhelmed others with the amount of, of misdirection and deception. And you can't really follow any of it. And and I think people give up. Right. So my biography really dealt with the whole person. And it was before he ran for president that I finished it. So I delved into his background as a little kid and as a, a person who went off to military school. And it became very obvious to me long before Mary Trump, the psychologist, published her book, was that his parents basically threw up their hands and sent him away. Right. It's like, <laughs> like we can't deal with this kid. It, they were saving themselves as much as anything. By getting this um, child, who in another socioeconomic group would have been a juvenile delinquent. Yep. I mean, he would have been sent to juvenile hall had he been from another family. But instead, they sent him off to this military school where he tied those people in knots. But he also got disciplined about it. So this is and probably you know, the last time that he's ever seen any type of discipline. Because he right. is Mary Trump said in her book, he has spectacularly failed up. No one. She's never seen anyone fail up the way he has because he's never been told no. He's never had to pay a price. He's always been sheltered. And the enablers have, have allowed it. It's a stunning thing. I mean, he, he is worthy of every storyteller who takes him up as a subject. But he's a, tra- a tragedy for our country. You know, and this thing that you kind of touched on about how we can't see straight anymore is we also live in an age of illusion and it exists online and it exists in people's minds and in their Facebook feeds. And this is a person perfectly equipped to exploit that. So nobody believes anything anymore. Well, I know. <laughs> and it's scary. You know, it's scary because that was a part of Trump's um, purposeful attempts and attacks to discredit the media and guardrails in our country where people get their information. You discredit the sources, then the average person doesn't know what's truth and what isn't. And that's very authoritarian um, and very dangerous because then you end up where we are now, where you're arguing with people that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. And they're telling you, no, it doesn't. The sun rises in the west. And I'm the (laughs) asshole because I'm telling you that, no, scientifically, the sun rises in the east. And before Donald Trump, you didn't argue with me about that. Why now are you arguing with that and then calling me the jerk because I'm pointing out that you're completely off base. It's it's a it's a crazy thing. And um, you talk about this in your book, actually. And you you talk about how he 
he mastered these skills from Roy Cohn, who was his mentor and who was a notorious, horrible person, um, former McCarthy general counsel and mafia lawyer and all around degenerate. And he's the one who taught him to be pugnacious and insistent, no matter what the facts were, and to just always fight back and, and bullshit. And so did Roger Stone. So he's done yeah. this his whole life. And before it was just a business issue. Now it's the it's the country. It's national and, security. Well, and look what he's done to the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. We're, we need we need a conservative party, and and but what we have now is a cult of Trump. If something can be built from what remains, um, that would that's essential. If something new has to be fashioned, that's essential. But you know, the wreckage includes even the party. Right. That he's that he leads. Yeah. It would be as if he shook Trump Tower itself down on his own head. Um, It's it's a terrible, terrible turn. Oh, you're preaching to the choir on that. (laughs) Believe me, it's uh, it's been dispiriting for me and just uh, amazing to watch. And obviously, those of us, the Lincoln Project have have dedicated our lives to ousting Trump and defeating Trumpism for those exact reasons, because it's unhealthy the way things are now. Um, you look at what else is going on and the people that Trump surrounds himself with. Um, I just wanted to make a quick point before I forget about the UAE when you brought that up. Um, you know who else has really strong ties to the UAE? Eric Prince. And Eric Prince, has, you know, his name has come up. That's the billionaire who ran Blackwater and had his dirty fingers in secret meetings in the Seychelles with Russians and UAE leaders and things like that. So I guarantee you, there is something going on there as well with Eric Prince's fingers involved in the UAE and Trump and and military equipment being sold there. I mean, it's just so so incestuous and corrupt. I can't. Um, so before I forget, <laughs> before I forget, I wanted to make that point. Um, but talking about being corrupted and, and ridiculous, Rudy Giuliani is running around uh, all over the world trying to dig up dirt and running around with Russian freaking intelligence operatives and and providing bogus information. And in your book, High Crimes, uh, you talk a lot about Rudy Giuliani and his role, because in your book, you take us back on this roadmap, this this trip down memory lane um, through the the impeachment what happened with Ukraine, how we got impe- how he got impeached. Um, and then you talk, you also talk about the Mueller report and what happened there and then the fallout from all of it. And in the, in the impeachment thing, which we forget about, right? We forgot yeah. that this guy was impeached. It was only a year ago um, <laughs> that this whole thing happened. And he was only impeached a few months ago this year. Giuliani is now with this hunt, this disgusting attack on Hunter Biden, who is not running for president. Um, and this laptop, this crazy story. And Giuliani's hands are all over this. Please talk to me about Rudy Giuliani and his role in all of this and why this Hunter Biden story stinks to high heavens. Well, Rudy is another shocking example of someone who has fallen so far from grace that we don't recognize him anymore. You know, he he had his flaws all along, um, but he was within the boundaries of of what we expect in politics and government. He did a pretty good job running New York City, did a great job with 9-11. And then he actually, and this is something people don't understand, he was in this race to 
get to Eastern Europe, to the former Soviet bloc, and gobble up contracts as a political consultant. And he actually established himself in Moscow and in Kiev way back around 2002 to 2005 and joined this race for the money that was available to anyone who could advise people who wanted to seize power in those countries that were newly pseudo-democratic. You know, they, they've yet to become mature, actual functioning democracies, but they had elections and they wanted advisors who could tell them how to how to work the levers of electioneering. And so there, this group also included Paul Manafort. Mm-hmm. And it, it also included, oh, Michael, what is it, Caputo, is that? Yes, Michael name? Caputo. The, um, the recently departed Michael Caputo. Yes, he was meddling oh. in the CDC press releases during coronavirus in the beginning because he was placed at the Department of Health and Human Services to be a political operative and interferer, which he was, to mislead yes. the American people, which is what they do. But go ahead. <laughs> so then when Donald is running for president, everyone remembers that Rudy was the guy who stood behind him as the grab him by the you-know-what tape Mm -hmm. came out. And he expected to be Secretary of State. He really thought somehow he could make that leap from this kind of nutty guy running around the world calling attention to himself to becoming America's leading diplomat. And that didn't quite work out. So he made himself invaluable to the president as his personal lawyer, but also as this guy who was going to prove the wacky idea that it wasn't Russia that meddled in the 2016 election, it was Ukraine. And he was going to do this with his buddies, Lev and Igor, who were these, uh, another couple of strange mm-hmm. knuckleheads who appeared out of nowhere, essentially, at the darkest moment of the Trump campaign with an open checkbook and, and big smiles on their faces. And these were guys who were from Ukraine and Belarus, and they went back with Rudy um, somehow, and this is a mystery to me still, they found $500,000 to pay Rudy. So this this is another string that everybody is going to have to try and follow. Mm-hmm. Where did that $500,000 come from? Uh, Rudy was going to be in a, a, a consultant to a company that they had, and I kid you not, called Fraud Guarantee. Yep. <laughs> and, and, for, you know, and these are two guys who were avidly committing fraud throughout their lives and really robbing people blind of their investments with these penny stock scams and other other schemes. And they, they had Russian mafia ties as well. And they are both under investigation by the Southern District of New York. They were arrested last year uh, trying to board a plane to head to Vienna to go back and seek safe haven with their Russian oligarch benefactor, uh, Ferdish, Dmitry Ferdish, who has ties to Rudy Giuliani as well in all kinds of ways. I mean, it is insane, the tapestry of corruption that, Ju- that Rudy Giuliani is in the center of. People listening to this are going to have so much trouble following. I know. But but the, the, the long and short of it is Rudy, Lev, and Igor set out to prove that Ukraine was to blame for the Russian, for Russian election interference, not Moscow, and to smear Biden. And they 
found willing partners in Ukraine, because that's a Wild West political environment, who were going to use the levers of government there to somehow gin up these accusations against the Bidens. And um, before you know it, they're pounding on the door of the White House saying, we've got the evidence for you, Mr. President, um, and here it is. Well, what's scary about that, though, is that and and you go through this in in your book and, you know, their ties and to Russian mafia, the oligarchs and Russian intelligence is what should be alarming everyone. It's beyond just the fact these are corrupt fraudsters, but there are more nefarious actors involved here that are pulling these strings from the top. And these guys are useful idiots, including Rudy Giuliani. I mean, it's hard to imagine that the hero of 9-11, the former mayor of New York, would, would allow himself to be used this way. But on page 62 in your book, you say... That all three, that's Giuliani, Lev Parnas, and Igor Fruitman, who I call frickin' frack, you say all three had much to gain personally by presenting themselves as Trump's emissaries in Ukraine. For Giuliani, Ukraine offered the chance to gain relevance, wield power, and make money. Cash flow was important for him, as he had seen his market value decline from the from the early period of his post-mayoral life, when clients were eager to hire the man who had been in charge during the 9-11 attacks. And then you go on to outline the motivations for Fruman and Parnas, because they were indebted to all kinds of people, and they were looking for their next scam. So it was a, it was a, a dangerous marriage there with all of them. And I don't want to give too much away. If people want to read more about it, they can read it in your book. Um, but I wanted to ask you something else so, about. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. What, what you what you say about the Russian mafia and the oligarchs and how these three were useful idiots is so true, and the game that they play is so dangerous. Mm-hmm. What people really need to understand is that Moscow, uh, the Kremlin. And the Russian mafia are almost one and the same, and the oligarchs are part of a triumvirate. So this is the holy trinity of power in Kiev, in Moscow and in Kiev. So, for example, they wanted Rudy, Lev, and Igor to get into the natural gas business in Ukraine. They need a lot of natural gas because it's cold there in the winter, and it's the only fuel they have access to. It all comes from Russia, and there is a franchise given to the favored oligarch who can buy the gas at a low price in Moscow, sell it in Kiev at a very high price, and pocket the difference. There's no pipeline that they operate and run or construct. They don't have a staff. All this is is a pass-through corporation in Cyprus where they can hide everything and skim off billions of dollars. So Lev, Rudy, and Igor said to themselves, well, we want to in on that action. What they don't realize is that this is all enforced by the Russian mafia. Right. So if anybody steps out of line, they get whacked. That's true. This is is why people are shot on the sidewalks in Kiev still. This is why people are shot on the sidewalk in Moscow. Paul Manafort's benefactors in Kiev, the guys that he worked for, the people that he put into office – shot a hundred protesters in the Maidan revolution during Ukraine when they were trying to oust their dictator. These are dangerous people and the games that the Americans play when they go over there are bloody games. And and I think you're right that there many of them are useful idiots. You know, they they may not get killed themselves, but people die around them. And it's it's 
the cost is that high. Indeed it is. And um, just because of the fire hose of crazy, the American people are not metabolizing this and realizing that this is who the president of the United States is running around with. These are the people that he's associating with, retweeting, inviting to fundraisers. Um, A lot of these people paid all kinds of money into the Trump inaugural foundation, um, the uh, Trump inaugural committee, which is also under investigation because the campaign finance laws are a lot looser. And there is so much corruption there. Also, the Southern District of New York is looking into that. Um, But something else that you mentioned in your book and in the last couple of minutes that I have with you, you talk about China and how this because we're seeing this um, this attack on China, 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 and which was a purposeful thing to to try to distract from really Russia, 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 which was where we should be focused. I mean, China's a bad actor too, but nowhere near what's going on with, with Russia. And you say on page 142 that the China fantasy had been devised inside a pro-Trump political shop, blandly called the Government Accountability Institute, that functioned as a political version of Dr. Frankenstein's laboratory, founded by Steve Bannon before he became Trump's campaign manager and it employed lawyers, researchers, and writers to develop articles and reports that smeared Trump's opponents. Talk a little bit about that. What should people know about it? Well, the the Government Accountability Institute has nothing to do with government, nothing to do with accountability, and it's not an institute of any sort. It's It's this false organization that Steve Bannon created to fund books and articles uh, that are these pseudo-documents that allege things that are done around the world. Uh, always it's the enemies of Donald Trump who are the bad guys or the, or his opponents. So this is where the idea that somehow the Bidens are in bed with the Chinese and taking all sorts of money came from. You can take a little tiny snippet, something that Biden may have said you know, in a diplomatic setting, praising a Chinese leader, blow it into a thing that alleges all kinds of nefarious activity, and then disseminate that around the world. And no one knows that the Government Accountability Institute is a, is a sham. No one knows that the people whose names are on these articles are frauds, who are really guns for hire, who will put their name on almost anything for enough money. And yet this is promoted as, as part of Bannon's strategy called flooding the zone. You know, in football, flooding the zone means you send all your receivers into the defensive backfield so that the defender is overwhelmed and somebody gets free and can catch the ball. Mm-hmm. In, politi- in politics, it's flooding the zone so you overwhelm your opponent and, most importantly, the press. So you're always on offense, always pressing. It doesn't matter that what you're advocating is a lie. And so much of what comes out of these shops, these institutes and publishing companies and law offices that are usually nothing more than mail drops, is deceptive and um, destructive. You know, and I, 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 one of the things that I want to just make sure I, I mention is that real people who are public servants who have devoted themselves their entire lives to doing good work are ruined by this kind of thing. And, you know, Marie Ivanovich is example A1. Mm-hmm. So this is a person who served the foreign, in the Foreign Service for decades and 
really hellish environments and winds up getting the best job she's ever had, finally using her expertise as the ambassador in Ukraine. And these three knuckleheads, Lev, Rudy, and Igor, go over there and drive her out for no good damn reason, except that they want to make some money and they think the president's going to be pleased. And you hear them cackling Lev Rudy and the president over her scalp with the president in that famous recording at lunch, at uh, dinner with Lev and Igor, saying, I want her out. She's gone. Right. Like a mob, like a mob boss mm-hmm. ordering a hit. And that came this- up during the impeachment and her testimony during impeachment was riveting. Um, and uh- I, I wish the best for her because you're right. She was one, and so was Alexander Vindman, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, who um, Lincoln Project will be partnering with to release an ad soon. Um, and what was done to him and his twin bro- his twin brother for simply standing up to do the right thing. And it's the the list is long of lives that have been ruined by Donald Trump and his vindictiveness. It's uh, it's crazy. I know you and have the to. People around ahead. him do the same thing. You know, this is a this is a wrecking crew of people who not only have gone after our democracy for fun and profit, but they've ruined people's lives. And and it's these are some of the finest people that America has relied upon, um, like Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, like Ambassador Yovanovitch, and many others. And and they deserve better and we deserve better. Indeed, we do. Um, in the last 30 seconds, uh, before I let you go, I know you have another engagement. What was the most bizarre thing that you found during your research for the for your book, High Crimes? What was the one thing you were like, holy shit? I ask all my author friends that. What was your holy shit moment during your during your book? And then I'll let you go. Oh, boy. You know, I have to say it wasn't bizarre. It, it was rather kind of heartwarming. I managed to get a nice long interview with the lawyer for the whistleblower, and he talked to me at length about how frightened this person was for his own safety, and it is a male that's been well established. And listening to the lengths that the two of these fellows went to with the lawyer driving in circles literally around the White House, (laughs) talking on his cell phone so he wouldn't be overheard at home and wouldn't be overheard in an office talking to this whistleblower, hearing the story and then planning with him how to protect America's secrets while alerting the people who needed to be alerted to the scheme that was going on. So this was a little bizarre. It was kind of like Deep Throat meeting Woodward and Bernstein in the parking garage. But it's also very inspiring to know that they were cognizant of of safeguarding the secrets that, you know, their attackers would later say, oh, these people are violating national security. No, they did everything they could to protect national security. They were behaving professionally. And they, they, you know, a whistleblower is necessary on occasions. And we still have people in this country like that. And um, maybe that's the blessing that's going to see us through the restoration of our democracy. 
I hope so. And I hope that there are more and more uh, in, intrepid reporters and writers like yourself who uncover these things and inspire those people to continue to speak out because otherwise we would never know. And um, we are better than what we have now. Michael D'Antonio, you are the best. Check out his book, High Crimes, The Corruption, Impunity and Impeachment of Donald Trump. It is out October 20th, correct? Yes. Thanks, Kara. Great to spend time with you. Always keep up the great work. <laughs> Again, another big thank you to my friend, Michael D'Antonio. Um, he's such a, I, I love him. He's such a jolly fellow and a fantastic writer. Um, so be sure to check out his book, High Crimes, coming out on October 20th. And before I let you guys go for this episode, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who has been watching the Breakdown. It's the show that I co-host with Rick Wilson on Lincoln Project TV, which you can find on YouTube, on the Lincoln Project YouTube channel. And we are now going live from nine to 10, five days a week from now until the end of the election. So you can check us out. And if you can't watch it live, you can always watch it on repeat because you can it's online. So you can watch it whenever you want. We have been putting up huge numbers uh, that we just cannot believe how much support we have. So Thank you so much for watching. Um, it's The Breakdown on LPTV. So if you haven't checked out the show, check it out. You get to see lots of Lincoln Project content and Rick Wilson and I uh, shooting the shit and we bring on cool guests and have great conversations. So thank you to everybody that's been supporting that. Keep watching and um, make sure that you tweet at me or tweet at the show, ask, hashtag ask the breakdown. And uh, we try to get to your viewer questions on that. And you can always find me on my Twitter and social media at Tara Setmayer on Twitter and at honestly underscore Tara for the podcast. And one last thing, um, I wanted to, I wanted to give a, a, a call to action because voter suppression, we're seeing these long lines, you know, it's important for people to be educated as we get closer to voting. If you haven't voted early or you're planning to vote, um, the Lincoln project has joined in a new initiative. We are in a new partnership with democracy labs and they have started something called the see something, say something 2020 initiative. What is that? Well, this helps voters report instances of voter suppression in real time. So it's designed to um, supplement other existing voter suppression protection systems. And if you are if you witness voter intimidation tactics, like when you see this, you can use social media and you use the hashtag CSAY2020. So that's hashtag CSAY2020. And Democracy Labs has the coordinates and timestamp of where and when, when and where you are. Uh, if you put that in your post and um, they can verify the legitimacy of the claim and investigate it. So if you witness an act of voter suppression, this is how you report it. You can go to CSAY20.com document any instances of voter suppression that you see, take photos, note the time and location, add descriptions, get as much info as you can. Then you can report the incident through a screening process to remove the spam and any false reports. So they have that. And then you can use the hashtag, like I said, hashtag CSA20 on any of your social media platforms, whether it's Twitter or Instagram. And if you want to make sure that Donald Trump knows what happens, 
you can always use the hashtag when we all vote. So that way we can send a message. So check out that partnership. Um, so if you see something, say something. And it's uh, csay2020.com. That's a partnership with Democracy Labs. On that note, keep voting, keep wearing your mask. And we're almost to the finish line with this national nightmare. See you next episode.